Our scripture reading, there are two. They come from 2 Corinthians 13, 11 and 2 Thessalonians 3 through 17. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the mark in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, thank you for that reading, Reverend Stone. Thank you for the beautiful music, and it is so good to be here today with all of you. Will you please join your hearts with mine in prayer? God of love and peace, we gather in this moment asking that you would center our hearts, calm our minds, that we might hear a word from you. Give us wisdom and courage for interpretation today, that we might be faithful as we leave this place. May these words in the meditations of all our hearts bring honor and glory to you. It's in Christ that we pray, always in great thanksgiving. Amen. It can be so easy to gloss over the ending. By the time we get to the end of Paul's letters, we know who's been writing. We know his voice, his style, and his sound. Paying close attention to his final salutation and signature can come as an afterthought. And yet, I'm convinced that there's heart in the heap of words that come at the end of Paul's letters. I think there's something more playing out on the page if we're paying attention. I've long been fascinated by the process of letter writing in the ancient world from how the ink and paper were made to how letters could have been composed and carried, delivered, copied, and then recopied. Today, we can be attentive to the letters of Paul because of the remarkable care that accompanied the transmission process. That is how Paul's words came to be written, read, and remembered as Scripture. Most of the time, when we think of Paul writing letters, or see him in works of art, we envision him sitting all alone, pen in hand, as he writes to a person or congregation in the ancient Mediterranean world. We often envision a solitary Paul, sitting alone with a wrinkled forehead and a wrinkled brow, often by candlelight, composing holy words. I love the many pensive portraits of Paul, riding all alone into the shadows and stillness of the night. It makes me think of graduate school all over again, riding late into the night with a cup of coffee right by my side. There's something almost romantic or weighty about Paul trying to find just the right words to say in a quiet and enigmatic setting. It makes for a great painting, but I think it gets it all wrong. After all, Paul leaves clues for us about what the scene actually looked like. 
in Romans chapter 16, verse 22, we read about Tertius. He's named as the amanuensis. That's just a fancy word for a scribe or a secretary who wrote down Paul's letter. At the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we read, See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. At the end of 2 Thessalonians, one of our texts for today, we read, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the mark in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. To put it plainly, Paul doesn't write alone. He speaks his letters into being. His words are written down with care by someone else until the very end, at which point Paul picks up the pen. The handwriting changes. At least in Galatians, Paul's handwriting seems to be larger than that of the secretary. I can't help but think of the larger-than-necessary signature of John Hancock on the Declaration of Independence. In his words, Hancock signed so that someone can read my name without spectacles. For Hancock, it wasn't just about being legible for those with poor eyesight. He was also making a bold mark and a dramatic statement about America's independence from England. In the same way, you could say that Paul is simply making a mark, an, an authenticating mark, pure and simple, like a, a signet ring or a, a wax seal, an ancient form of certified mail, guaranteeing and verifying the sender. You could say that's all that there is to it. But for me, this wouldn't be saying enough. At least for me, there's more to Paul's marking and, and signing than merely supplying a pragmatic verification of the sender. To read Paul and to understand him, I'm convinced that we need to pay attention to how he ministered among the early Christians. Simply put, he shared his life among the people he ministered with and two. The less we imagine Paul alone, the more I think we'll understand what he was all about. We read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share not only with you the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. To understand Paul is to understand how he cared. He loved those he ministered among. He made sacrifices for them and with them. He shared his life with others. He worked night and day among the people he preached to and pleaded with. Paul understood that relationships matter and that relationships transform us. In the words of New Testament scholar Douglas Campbell, Paul built strange friendships. That is to say, he cared and invested himself in people from all walks of life. Paul did this because this is the model and way of God in Christ. God is fully invested in the entirety of creation. In Jesus, we discover a self-giving way of life. Paul followed in Jesus' way. And if you want to imitate something of Paul, 
he would even put it this way, imitate me only if I'm imitating Christ. To read the letters of Paul is to discover someone who cared and wanted the peace of God to be real for every person that he encountered. So often in life, we are held together because of others who take the time to care, listen, and speak into the depths of who we are. Paul doesn't just write with large letters. He lives and writes with a heart tuned to the people he loves and cares about. We must always remember that Paul is a pastor who cares. When his ministry takes him elsewhere, Paul is grieved that he can't always be present with those who are suffering and hurting. What we find throughout his letters is that Paul carries the hardships and pains of others with him even at a distance. He also carries their victories and successes. And because of how he cared, Paul is equally heartbroken and frustrated when good people he loves start dividing over petty squabbles and getting into arguments over things that aren't worth arguing about. Sometimes when we read Paul, we encounter words that seem harsh or even cranky. He can certainly be direct when he says things like, stop treating people who have less than you do like they don't matter. Don't you know that they too are a part of the body of Christ? Or, stop biting and devouring each other with your harsh words, unnecessary rules, and vindictive actions. Or, stop making it all about yourself. Instead, look to the interests of others. Sure, if, if you read Paul out of context, you might find a shell of a man bent on rebuking others. But, to read Paul in context is to locate what's underneath the shell. He's a pastor who wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a friend who lived, worked, ate, slept, prayed, suffered, and stayed with the people he ministered among. He carries the pains and joys of his friends on his back as he makes his way throughout the ancient Mediterranean landscape. He finds a way to sing even when one would think that the brutalities of life would quiet his voice. He keeps singing, walking, and working precisely because of his love of God and neighbor that is so deeply within him. I'm convinced that for all who knew him, Paul's signature wasn't merely a formality. His mark was a stark visual reminder of how much he loved those that he was writing to. In standing before you today, trying my best to keep my composure, I've wondered what it is that I should say. The truth be told, every time I've wanted to write this sermon, the words just haven't come like I've wanted them to come. On more than one occasion, I've stared at a blank page with tears running down my face. You see, it's not lost on me that I'm getting down to my final words with you and for you, a community that I've come to love with all that I am. This past week, I've wondered what mark that I've tried to make and leave here at Peachtree. As your pastor, I've tried to listen and preach and teach with courage, compassion, and care. 
except for my very first sermon at Peachtree, I've come to the church late on Saturday night or early on Sunday morning to talk through every single sermon multiple times before you ever hear it. And while I do this, I think about how you might hear my words. I think about the losses and celebrations in your lives. I think about whether my words will be too much or too little in light of what we are all going through. For almost five and a half years, this has been my habit. Sometimes, because it's the habit of so many of you to sit in the exact same place every single Sunday, I make my way down from the pulpit and I sit where you're sitting. I sit in your seat and I'll pray for you. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one, a spouse, a child, or a friend. Sometimes it's cancer or an upcoming surgery. Sometimes it's an addiction that I know is getting the best of you. Sometimes it's anxiety or depression. Sometimes it's a job loss that you just didn't see coming. Sometimes life is beautiful. Sometimes it's a brand new baby, a wedding, a new job, another sobriety token, a glimpse of joy and hope through your eyes, a unique opportunity that you're so excited about that you just had to call and tell me about it. And so I'll sit where you sit, Saturday by Saturday, Sunday by Sunday, I think about the view from the pew and about everything that's going on in all of our lives. I'll say a prayer for you, hoping at least in part that my words connect. I'd like to believe that God somehow works in us and through us and in the way that we care for each other. Just like so many of you are people of habit, sitting in the same pew Sunday after Sunday, I'm a person of habits too. I often swing through Starbucks on Saturday night or Sunday morning, and I'll grab a coffee. But I won't drink it until after I've talked through the sermon and thought about all of you. Very practically, this means I'm often drinking cold coffee, but, but it's a habit. Don't tell anyone, but I bring my cup of coffee right up here into the pulpit. Uh, before I drink it, I have to take out that little green stopper that prevents coffee from spilling all over the place when you hit a bump in the road or run up the stairs. And for more than a year now, whenever I'm up to preach, I've been putting these little green stoppers into this tiny drawer in the pulpit. <laughs> it's a silly thing, a strange habit. It's probably super weird, but in a way putting another coffee stopper in the drawer has been a reminder that all I can do is try my best, week by week, to love you and to say faithful words whenever I have the chance. And then I put it in the drawer. Whenever I open the drawer, it's a reminder of how I'm trying to do my best, week by week, to walk with you, to care, and to love you. Paul says... This is how I write. Here's my mark. Now, let me be abundantly clear in saying that I'm not Paul, but from one pastor to another. I'm convinced that he writes with his heart on his sleeve. He modeled what it means to care and call for faithfulness, whether life is going your way or not. 
from my view, it's hard for me to say what kind of a mark that I've made on you. For more than five years, you have shown our family kindness, generosity, forgiveness, courage, and strength. You have modeled what it means to cling to faith when it's hard. You have been such a caring congregation. You are such a caring congregation. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for walking with us for this part of the journey. What I can say with absolute certainty is that you all have made a lasting mark on us. My final admonition to you would simply be this. I believe that God is calling Peachtree to be a shining example in a city that we know and love. My prayer is that you would come together to do good and faithful ministry. Don't fight with one another. Instead, build each other up through good words, generosity, and compassion. Be kind to each other because the world that we live in can be hard and cruel. Be kind to your ministers because they're probably carrying more than you know. Look out for each other, especially those who are at risk of being overlooked or forgotten. Make strange friendships. Strive to be a church that looks to the life of Christ always, giving of yourself for the sake of others and thinking of others before you think of yourself. Know that we need each other. Don't give up on this church and the call to be faithful in a complex world. And know that even though I'll be away from you, that I will carry your faith, hope, and love with me as we transition to what's next. Or as Paul puts it, finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Thank you and amen.